0: Hello everybody, okay, we, uh, there's a handout that has a lot of stuff on there, um, just for your information, I, uh, I try to put all the Bible quotes in there because I realize that when I'm quoting the Bible it's kind of fast and loose and then I was like, uh, you know, you might not know what I'm talking about, so I put them all in there. All right, so today we're continuing with To Serve Means to Reign, and uh, so we're kind of finishing up this uh, uh, second session here, or section, in the, uh, on the, the apostolic letter to, on the dignity of women. So Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38, is known as the Annunciation, that's when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, told her, Hey, you're gonna birth the Son of God. She, of course, questioned, you know, had a question about that because she was a virgin. And the angel said that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the child will be called the Son of God. Now, Important to this also is that to validate Mary's situation, Elizabeth is also having a child who was once called barren. And then there's the great line from the angel, "For nothing will be impossible with God." And that that that's something to keep in the back of our mind as we talk about today, because um, that nothing is impossible for God. And then, of course, Mary's response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. That's the ESV version. Handmaid of the Lord, handmaiden of the Lord. Um, but it's, uh, it's it, you know, kind of a generic term would be servant. Usually it's translated as handmaid because it's a woman speaking. You know, if a man said the same, it's the same word, depending on, so... Uh, The ESV translated as servant. Okay, great. Um, That's all important for us. Let it be to me according to your word. She finishes. All right, great. In the Annunciation, God gives Mary something that changes her and her life. Okay, what does she give to her? Jesus. I mean, the angel gives, God gives Mary Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And while that might seem obvious, this event is interpersonal in character. The, that is really important for us <laughs> because sometimes we have a tendency to see only one character in our lives, whether it be us, that means that's, that's not good, self-centeredness, or uh, the other person, not us. So we kind of annihilate ourselves in, in front of people as if we, we don't matter, or I don't matter. So this is really important for us, is that the Annunciation is interpersonal. There's two characters, not one. Mary is not annihilated in Jesus' story, and Mary isn't used as in kind of coerced. So Mary, Mary is not inconsequential to the story. I mean, this is really important for us to really understand. Why is that? Not because of Mary, but because of God. It, that You have to understand that because Mary's identity, which we'll see later, and her dignity, her value, is of the Lord. She says that. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. She is of the Lord. So um, that, that's very important. So she, she's not inconsequential. She is, she's important to the story. Of course, if this applies to you, you're important to God's story also great so yeah if mary's annihilated jesus's humanity is lost you know that means we would uh, not you know the apostles creed wouldn't make sense christianity would be kind of pointless because uh god sent jesus to save humans and if you know if jesus wasn't a human then he couldn't actually uh, relate to us and then we have a god who's still stuck him in heaven Anyways, if, uh, if Mary is used of course, then Jesus' love is lost. It's no longer grace-oriented. Uh, and if Mary doesn't matter, you don't matter. So all these are really important into the story. And I, I don't want to kind of just drive, you know, just kind of speed by this little statement that it's interpersonal in character. Um, uh, it, yeah, so the story of God includes you. And we see this most concretely in the Annunciation, um, in Mary. Now, how that gets to uh, apply to you, there's a, this great quote, which I think is just fantastic. Grace never casts nature aside or cancels it, but rather perfects it and it ennobles it. So, God's unconditional love. He loves you, it, you know, just to kind of, what does grace mean? It's undeserved kindness, it means that you can do nothing to make God love you more and you can do nothing to make God love you less. Grace is the position of God toward you. It is pure gift. It is also really awesome. I mean, it's really good. But, I mean, this whole idea is that grace comes to you and doesn't, doesn't erase you. Now, what would it mean for you? I mean, think about it. What, if, if, what it mean if, if grace actually cast nature aside or canceled it out? This is where, you know, as, as Lutherans, are really important. So um, when you are saved, justification, or when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, when you're saved, it doesn't mean, like, it's an end to you as a human being, and now you're, like, a new creature, like you were an animal before grace came along. And now you're a human, or you're like some alien. And th- this is important for us because, um, w- well, think about it in terms of the resurrection, right? Jesus gets resurrected from the dead, and what do the disciples think he is? He's a ghost. So he's changed. He's no longer the thing he was, now he's different. But of course, Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a ghost. Uh, come and touch my hand, see my side. But of course, he also eats uh, on this, the sea, shore of sea, the Sea of Galilee, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, so that's, that's that's also applied then to kind of who we are as people and especially as, as a woman or as a man, this is kind of more generally speaking, is that um, when grace comes to you, it actually now, when it says perfects or nobles you or your nature, it 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 makes you who you are supposed to be, it makes you fully you. So, what does it mean for grace to perfect nature? Now, is Mary perfect? So this is this just depends on what you what you mean by perfect, right? This is very important for us to, to think about because when we think of perfection, who do we normally equate it with? God, right? By, so if that is true, we'll never be perfect. Because what? we are never we God. So is, is that the only way of understanding the word perfect, though? Because if, uh, if being perfect means only it's only of God... In his essence, which is a big word, um, essence, We're that's true. Well, maybe God's, he's, maybe he's not very nice. He's telling us something we can't be so that we kind of have to relate to him. He's coercing us. That's sarcasm, by the way. I actually don't believe that. I'm just saying <laughs> that this is important. Yeah, so, so Carol's point is important. God isn't telling us something that is supposed to, like, make us feel bad. (laughs) It's really important. So maybe being perfect means something different than being like or being uh, the same as God. Would it be along the lines of everything that we do is sinful? You know, God forgives everything that we do. Mm-hmm. If want to do something nice, you know, bake some cookies, bring them to you with a little juice. That seems to be Sounds perfect. great. Yeah. <laughs> so, perfect. So I still need grace and forgiveness. Right. Good. To, in a sense, perfect that. That's great. That's good. Because I, of myself, cannot do it. Right. This is great. Good. Excellent. You, uh, yes. So to perfect nature means to be fully human, to be you be fully woman. Um, and in this moment, Mary is perfect. She's not God, though. <laughs> she's not Jesus, either. I know that, that caused a lot of people some consternation a, a few weeks ago. What she is in this moment is exactly what God wants her to be. Now, you might say, oh, but that's impossible because she's sinful. What does the angel say? Nothing is impossible for God. What, what, what's interesting in this moment is that God's work in Mary is, is, is perfect. She is relating to God as she was meant to be. Carrying God in her flesh, there's no distance now between God and her this is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. At the same time now, um, you know, there's always been this debate about, you know, is Mary sinless? I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Is Mary sinless? Uh, or is she not sinless? And Luther has a very nice way of, that, that is a pious opinion where God's word doesn't, doesn't say anything. And to be honest, that's beside the point. Because we want to put the emphasis now on God's work and what he does To Mary. So, anyways, the whole point, though, is that when when grace comes to you in the form of Jesus and salvation, you are now becoming you, fully you. Holly. Uh, I was just gonna say, in order for God to be with Mary, He have to make her holy, because He can't. Yeah, He cleanses her. Unholy place. Right. In that way, she 's perfected and in the same way Right, now this is great, so, so Holly brings up a really good point that we hopefully we 'll get to today. i I really realize there's a lot of stuff on these papers, and so I 'm just going to kind of just mention so when God comes to Mary and makes her holy, redeems her, sanctifies her, purifies her, our temptation is to think there's a period at the end of that sentence which there are Christians who believe that, you know, you know, mainly Roman Catholics, right? She's completely purified, as if that is now separate from Christ's work. I gave this analogy during the sermon this last week about the moon and the sun and how the moon does have its own light and it can be bright, and but that light is never apart from the sun's light. This is the same idea. So any, and this is for all of us, but, I mean, this is kind of concrete. This is what the, the document says. Mary is like this extreme version of every person. Uh, well, that's, that's uh, saved by, by God. Um, is that when God comes and dwells her, it's a constant indwelling. and It's a constant purifying. I uh, will actually look at this through the small catechism and the explanations to the creed. So the first article of the creed, God the Father, right? So the explanation, small catechism, by the way. Luther's small catechism, it's a little document. Some of us have maybe memorized, learned it by heart, I should say. Um, And some of us might not have. (laughs) If uh, you've never had a chance to read it, you can Google it. It's it's, um, it's free online. Um, Anyways, the explanation of the first article of the creed says God made me And all creatures, and continues in daily riches provides for me. So there's a point in time where I was made, and now it's a continually occurrence. It's not as if God created me and then He's done. God is continually creating me. Why does He do that, Marilyn? I'm going to look to you. Why? Why? Why does God the Father create me? Is it something inside of me? That's right, fatherly, divine, mercy, and goodness, or whatever it was, yes. Marilyn Hess is my go-to for... <laughs> She's, she remembers it. So uh, so, so, what is so, that is, so, that's grace-oriented. There's nothing in me that causes this to come, but it's a constant giving on, on God's account. The same is with the second... I believe... Well, I think I wrote it down, should, rather than pretending to remember it always. I, oh, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord that I may be wholly his and live under him in his kingdom and serve him. So it's not like Jesus is my Lord, and then I don't have a relationship with him anymore. Jesus is my Lord because I live inside his kingdom, and he's continually my Lord, and he's continually uh, saving me by his precious blood, not by gold or silver, but by his precious blood. It is, yes, go ahead. great job, Marilyn. Yes, okay, good. And then the same thing is then, of course, Article 3, I, can, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ or come to Him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. So it's a constant being given to. So this is really important. That's on the back of the first page. I should number these two. I'll think about that next time. Um, so, yeah, so what Holly said is important, so Mary is purified, God indwells her, but it 's not because she 's perfect it 's because of what God does to her so our be our being this is really important, especially this is a Lutheran distinctive by the way, is that our being when I say being i mean this the thing that makes us us these essence uh, nature, the nature of a person um, is, is not, it's not in us. It's outside of us. So God gives himself to Mary, and in that giving, and then of course then her faith, which she says, let it be unto me, according to that word. So you have this dynamic relationship. So Mary is only Mary as she lives in relationship to God. She does not subsist or exist by herself. It's only because of God. Whew. Okay, Shirley. But just as God cleanse Mary to prepare for, prepare for her being? Yeah, being the mother of God. Yep. God, he in a sense also cleanses us. Through. That's exactly right. Boom. Really, just hit it out of the park, because that, and that, that's, that, that's what the document says. Unfortunately, I don't know why he doesn't use the word baptism. or He uses the word servant of the Lord. So, so uh, when Mary, a little, okay, tangent, but connected, we getting a little ahead of ourselves. But when Mary says, I'm the servant of the Lord, she's putting herself in line with the servant of the Lord. Who is the servant of the Lord? Jesus Christ. Isaiah 42, 1. I wrote that down. Behold my... Ser-, this, so this is the Father talking. Behold my servants whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. That is the scripture quoted at Jesus' baptism. Not word for word, but... Pretty much everyone thinks that's the, the word that's coming from the Heavenly Father. When the heavens are torn open and God says of Jesus when he's baptized, Behold, my son, my chosen, who I am well pleased. So um, so when Mary confesses to be the servant, she's putting herself in line with the servant, which is attached to Jesus' baptism, which of course is, as Shirley says, attached well, before Shirley said it, God said it, so it's really important. Is our baptism. So again, so this is not something that we're, so what? what uh, maybe a better way for me to say it is that when we talk about Mary, it's not as if she's, she's a distance from us, or like, quote-unquote, better than us, but she's a description of us of God's grace. And that's, that's, that's the whole point. This is, this is why we're talking about it. Okay, Um, all right, now the next word is uh, ennoble nature. What does it mean to ennoble? First of all, I had to look up the word ennoble. I have to admit, I did not know what that meant. I kind of knew what that meant, but it does mean give. So we're back on the front page. (laughs) At the bottom. What does it mean for grace to ennoble nature? That means to give a greater dignity. Dignity. Oh, yeah, what does dignity mean? What's that? Oh, it was the family joke, something my mother didn't have. Oh, really? So whatever your yes, whatever her mom had, did not have is what it is. Okay, well, that, that's a slippery definition. Um, the dignity, the, the thing that makes uh, someone worth something. okay. Yeah. So the thing is, is that grace gives you a greater dignity or greater status. And this is really important for us, especially both. Again, we're kind of talking generally men and women, just in general, all Christians. Becoming fully you doesn't mean that you are another you or another sort of creature, but you now have a royal status. You are child of God. Yeah, you're 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 as Jesus is. Son of God, child of God, daughter of God. And God's the king. Okay, it makes that royal status connection there. So king of the universe, you happen to be a son and daughter. Well, I have to be a son, you you guys are daughters. You know, um, um doesn't only affect my children, but my children are pastor's kids. They have a certain status. This really affects my son, mainly. But he, uh, you know, he knows dad's pastor, so he has a certain uh, self-understanding freedom when he walks into this building. Now I don't. I don't think it's just my son's, uh, which is a good thing. It just, a, the whole that whole second grade class of boys have this status. I think, <laughs> which I love, by the way. Although it does cause me headaches <laughs> just every now and then, it is something. Where at the end of the day, I'm very happy about. So any moms of second grade boys, keep it. Don't squelch it. Oh, uh, is um. They walk in like they own the place. And they kind of carry themselves that way. Now at a certain level that's really nice and it's endearing to, until they get to be teenagers and then oh my gosh it's going to be a big headache. But um uh, but for now it's yeah. So they have a role status. They 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 can walk around like they they own the place. Um now of course they need to, to uh take on the mantle of mercy and responsibility, but we'll we'll get we'll work on that. In the same way in the same way, we as royal children of God have that same status but now it doesn't happen just within the church but it happens in fact wherever, wherever we go. We have this freedom, this dignity that as we work, walk through this world, follow Christ through this world, we have a character that is, is, is fundamentally different than, than people who are not uh, Christians. But again... As I said, long comes with that as mercy and, and responsibility or, or love, love, mercy and love. So, so this is really important for us, though. But that, then, that really now gives us something to be confident in who we are, uh, again, generally speaking as men and women, but, of course, precisely as women. Um, so, yeah, so there's some things to think about this, is that... Um, We already mentioned you're not subhuman before Christ comes along. That's really important for us, too, because sin and guilt will try to make you feel that way. I mean, you might not say subhuman, right? I mean, you you might not think about yourself that way. But sin, guilt, and shame will make you think something different than what God says of you. So this is really important for us, is that I got this quote here from Roland Ziegler, some German guy. Yeah, (laughs) he is. Thank you, Shirley. Uh, Man remains a creature also after the fall. And since God is not the creator of sin, the substance of man cannot be identified with sin. Being a creature and being a sinner are therefore not the same. So what the devil tries to do is say that you are sinner... You as a creature are a sinner. God made you this way. So if God made you a sinner, is there any hope for you? Well, no, because... Well, if you are primarily a sinner, then that's what you're meant to be. You turn into a different creature if God were to save you. You weren't actually... you. So this is, that's a dangerous thing, uh, not to mention what it makes God. Because God would be the creator of sin. By the way, that's not a Christian belief. God did not, did not make sin. He's not the author of sin. Um, so this is great then, because sin does not make you subhuman or another creature. So every person, regardless if they're a sinner, I mean, if they're a Christian or not, has a dignity as a creature of God that's important for us as we uh, think about things. Krista. Um, perhaps you, you read the, the uh, letter from the bishop and uh, um, he wrote um, man is divine. And uh, I thought <laughs> um, it's, it's a, a little bit uh, um, uh, funny but you know when, you, when we are partaker of communion right? we are uh, that's right. And divine is grace. Right. And this is really important. For, Christa is right. So man is divine, but not apart, not based on man. Not based on ourselves. Again, this goes back to this receiving understanding of our identity. Our, we are not divine in and of ourselves, as if we could be divine apart from God or without God. That is the danger of uh, works righteousness is that if there's anything that is based on you that saves you, makes you divine, what is that? then that, that actually excludes Christ from that work. However, if it's God who saves you, period, then your divine status is only based on God's work and relationship to you. But as we already said, it's not as if it God erases you from this equation. Um, yeah, Donna. Yeah. Uh, grace us, or gives us a status as children of God. Right. But grace is not a gift whereby we are enabled to do good works. Right? Uh, grace is a, and so I've heard. Okay. Uh, in order to obtain this grace, this special gift, we need to receive God's gifts, especially the seventh. So it depends on how you're looking. At... Well, well, grace. Yeah, grace. We already said is God's undeserved kindness. Uh, so, but part of his kindness is also His work and gifts to you. I mean, think about it this way: I can be a real nice guy mary's over there she could be a nice she could be a nice woman we i could I could feel all I could feel all these great things about mary she's a great woman she's really nice she, she fixes microphones and gives me yummy you know cookies at christmas time and she could say those same things about me but um, if, we, if i don't actually like connect with her or or, or actually have a relationship which God does gifts. Now, again, when God does, gives gifts, it's not like we give our presents out. You know, it's not like, but his gift is primarily in terms of relating to one another in relationship. So, yeah, that, that's what I mean by grace. There's no, Grace is not just some sort of abstract thing. It's a very concrete giving, receiving, relating to one another. So, good works always flows from faith, and faith is a green with God what is God how does that mean so God says you are mine you are my child uh, I have forgiven you I forgive. You. I should put that in a different order I forgive you you are my child and faith says okay now again you've been set free and now you, you do these things that your heavenly father and, and Jesus ennobles you to do Gives you gives you things to do. Yeah, Rachel. So I understand that God did not create sin. Right. How or why is it that we're born with sin? Yes, it's because we're all connected. Um, there's one human race. And unfortunately, the idea that we're all individuals apart from one another is just not true. We share something with each other, and sin has been attached to our, to to our, to, to our ourselves, our persons, our bodies. Now, of course, you know how do we know? So, some of the questions about like you know, hey, are children born sinless, or you know, you know, theoretically could someone go through life? Not sinning. Well, of course we say no because original sin, right? That it's just part of it's 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 attached to us. It's Martin Luther will talk about it's bonded will. Your will is bound by sin. It binds you. Um, and you have to be set free. You have to be unlocked from that. The um, so it's not necessarily something that subsists in you. Uh, it, it's a uh, it's something that's. It's apart from who you are. That's why the bound is a good idea. So if someone is in chains, you don't say those chains are part of who you are. It makes you you. No. It's something that can be taken off and removed and set free. But because of our connection with one another, you're basically born that way because this is how we, we, we make ourselves. and the devil tempts us. It's so just it, it, it's the garden of eden being replayed in everybody's life. So even this individual child who's an infant because they are human, they're part of that story. This is there's you can't get out of that story. But that's not the full story because Jesus comes and saves us and leads us leads us out. That is so that goes back then to the fundamental position or the primary point of this that apostolic letter, right? Where does Where does the, the uh, John Paul II start? Galatians four, right? In the fullness of time, born of woman. This is that's the most important point in time. So that's the way things are supposed to be. The Garden of Eden was the w- that was they were uh, Adam and Eve were were created sinless to live in this perfect relationship, but at the same time they had this freedom. God created them to be free, and and they. You know they use their freedom to sin, and now, because of that, everyone who's born of of adam is is the same way the uh The other aspect too though is um uh, original sin as as we kind of as again this is lutheran distinctive original sin i think I wrote it down here so is a is the complete lack of the created hereditary righteousness. That is not me writing it, but I could not figure out where I got that from. So I didn't put a quote, although the formula of Concord is... I should have wrote that out. Is uh, Okay, so anyways, Original sin is the complete lack of the created hereditary righteousness. That I means just, you know, being perfect. Back of the first page, top. In paradise, or of the image of God, according to which man was created in the beginning, in truth, holiness, and righteousness... So think about it, this term is that uh, if, if someone were to be born sinless or without sin, what would not be in their future that, uh, um, that we all have one day to experience? Mm-hmm. Death? Did someone say death? I heard the D word. Death, that's right. See, death, death. so God, so, um, so Adam and Eve sinned. Their original point was to live forever. God releases death into the world so that they would not live forever. Because if they were sinners, how would they live forever? Sinners, which is a terrible existence. So death now is brought into service of the original plan, the fullness of time, Christ's coming. And and so now death is is now becomes, rather than the end of things, but becomes a a doorway. Yeah, so death is, um, can actually be good. And, in fact, uh, well, okay, good. It it actually informs who Jesus is, too. Uh, There's some hands. Yeah, Ellen. Is it accurate in Lutheran theology to think of sin as after the fall Sin isn't merely something we do Right. Enter the world not. Yeah, right. So so um it it so when we, we like when we confess our sins, I by nature, the word nature there isn't a um a uh, Genesis one and two nature. It is Genesis three. I'm sorry, um Genesis well, the end of chapter two kind of nature that, that didn't go over well. But um Post fall nature. See, so uh, this is something too that's a Lutheran distinctive, and this is something where so Lutherans got really nervous about, and we also have to be nervous about the way John Paul kind of talks about pre fall stuff. It, 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 Martin Luther, especially, he says, you know, we our uh, world, our vision is so clouded by sin to imagine life before sin is a very speculative exercise. We can only confess or believe what God says through Scripture. Um, and so, you know, we can't say too much besides that. Yeah. So so that nature is, uh, all we can say is that our original being, our essence, was not to be sinful. That's all we can really say about that. I mean we can say it's not sinful, so we could live in perfect relationship to God, what that looked like in Eden, I we don't know. Um, but, you know so in perfect relationship to one another, what does that mean? Well, we don't know because that is something that won't be experienced until yeah, resu- the final resurrection. So um yeah, that's a good question, Ellen. I should have thought of that. Um so, that that's something where, uh, yeah, so, so sin is, uh, it's not the way it's supposed to, it's not supposed to be part of who we are. It's not part of who we are in, in the the way God created us, but it's so part of us that it's really hard to kind of delineate between the two, between, like, original creation and sinful nature. And that's why Lutherans, you know, are like, you know, we, we can't do that. So, like Martha said you know, when she brings me juice and a plate of cookies, I would say that's a really good work. I mean, that's, that is part of original creation, her meeting stuff. But, of course, that's not true because sin is, in, you know, it's part of who, who, what you know, what she does. So, of course, I, you know, hopefully, I don't know, Pastor Bruzek, used to, I think this is something that only he, has, he came up with. So, you know, if he didn't, just pretend that you think he did. Uh, the only good work is a forgiven work. So um, that does not eradicate uh, sin from your life, as if you are without sin. But it also does not eradicate God's goodness in the world, too, because nothing is impossible with God. Yeah, Krista. It's only uh, when I just can take the Martha example when you say, um, "Oh, I did something good for the pastor, and I am good now." Right. It's always a caveat. There's always a caveat there. You're a very good sinner. So Now, the thing is, though, is that, so this is where I think as, as we think about ourselves, though, that, and I think I said this in, in the, I don't know, I, I it kind of overlapped here, I think about this, this sermon, is that, you know, you can't, when you think about yourself or when you understand yourself, and call yourself, you know, if you think about yourself primarily as a sinner, you're, you're, you're eradicating God from your life. You know, that is not, that's not who you are. Yes, we are sinners. There's a great Lutheran say, saying that we are, are simultaneously justified and sinner. Sometimes they say saint and sinner. It's an alliteration. But some people will say that as if the saint part doesn't really matter. Uh, It's not true. That's not even what the Bible says. There are people in the Bible, the only thing we really know about them, concretely, is that they are completely faithful to God. And I just, I I was thinking about this as I was writing this. The minor character, I might have said this to you. So the Gospel of Mark has a lot of. Small characters, minor characters that kind of come in and out of the story real quick. And most of the, all those minor characters in those stories, they're all perfectly faithful. They, they follow Jesus, they show great faith. Oh, you know, Jesus even talks about them. Oh, my word. You know, we've got to find faith like this in Israel when he talks about a, uh, a Roman centurion. Uh, or the woman with the flow of blood. I mean, he is such high praise for her. Um, you know, we can't discount that. These are, these are, this, is, this is God's eternal plan just kind of shine its, its bright beams in our dark world. And, and that's a good thing. So that's why, I mean, that gives us hope. For the for the future, so we run into these people who love us. You know, give us cookies and a glass of juice, and that, in fact, is God's love. I've experienced this r- r- really in in my life now. It's, it's, I'm not pretending. I'm not imagining that God's around. I'm not, you know, because, oh, well, Martha's a sinner. So this isn't really a good thing. Okay, well, you know what? Jesus saved Martha. Jesus redeemed that work. That's good. Um, yeah, anyways, okay, good. We. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see here. Um Oh, okay, so now original sin, though. Uh, I meant to finish this answer with Rachel's original question. All right, so um, original sin, we lose the image of God when, uh, because of original sin. Now, that might be hard because I think a lot of people associate the image of God with the dignity of being a creature. Oh, we love this person because they've been made in the image of God. Uh, that's not quite right. Um, because the image of God is based on right relationship, um, so, so uh, Genesis. Well, we're going to talk about this. Well, I don't know. I might have to just come back next week. the the, um, the next section is Genesis one, in in the in the letter to women. God created them in His image, male and female. He created them. The image of God is not something based on our person, but based on our relationship. So there's a relational aspect to what the image of God means. Not only between male and female, but between God and, and male and female. So when Adam and Eve sin, they've lost now that image of God. But when God saves them and puts them back in the right relationship, the image of God is restored. They are now the way they, that God created them to be, living in perfect relationship. Yeah, Julie. Don't we think that all people around the world, regardless of their relationship to God or their religion, are valuable because they are made of this image, or the unborn are valuable because they're... Yeah, they're valuable because God is the creator and creates them. Now, the image of God is, is this, so this is something where, this is, this is important because I don't want to get, this is why Lutheranism is pretty cool. Um, the image of God isn't, it does not subsist inside the person. It's not something that I have apart from God's relationship to me. So if I have no relationship with God, then de facto, I, I don't have the image of God but that does not make you any less human or subhuman or a creature of God. So, Julie, I, I, you're right. I mean, this is just tossed around a lot. I mean, and this is... Uh, that would be a Roman Catholic doctrine. Roman Catholics do believe that the image of God is based... Uh, so they make a distinction between the image of God and the likeness, image and likeness of God. And one of the things about Reformational theology was image and likeness are that and connects those two. They're not separate. And so, um, the image is based on original righteousness, which kind of makes sense, right? If if Jesus is the image of God, he is image because he is the, the son of God. He's righteous, holy. And so... Um, We are only holy and righteous before God for Christ's sake. Uh, And so there's that relational aspect of the image of God. So the thing is, is that as Christians now, our fight for the unborn, our fight for uh, what's just in the world, is not based on something inside of them. Them being those who are not Christians or the really unborn. It's not something inside of them, it's based on what God has said of them or done to them. What has he done? He's created them. M- Marilyn, why has he created them? Goodness and mercy. In themselves. So so the danger is is when we when we say the image of God is in someone, that makes them worthy now, now that there's something inside of them apart from God. It, it, this is a, a dogmatic distinction. I understand. this. We've totally entered into Nerdville. I know it's one of my favorite places to go. But yeah, we actually have. So at the end of the day, Julie, my actions are just as fierce as someone who says, well, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna save the unborn. Because of the image of God inside of them, you know what? Uh, that's actually not. I would say that's technically not true. But you know what? We're going to do our best to save the unborn. That that doesn't change. Um, I would just say. I would just so so like for instance, let's just kind of play that out. Um, does God does God save you because of something you've done? No. no. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Um, no, this is, this is good. Does God, does, does God have a relationship with us based on something we do? No, it's a, regardless if we sinned or not, God would still relate to us. How he relates to us, how he relates to us, it's pure gift. I mean it's pure pure grace. That uh, it's not really a danger. Uh but to say that the image of God is in a person uh you know, even after they've sinned, now puts something in them or of them that's worthy of of being saved. So we wouldn't necessarily quote that with a good works, but it's definitely not. Holy, holy based on God's work or Christ's work. Whew, I know, it's, uh, whoa, man, my brain is spinning. <laughs> um, again, uh, like I said, that's, we're totally in nerdville. Um, anyway, the whole point, though, is this is really, uh, okay, so why, why am I bringing, I'm really driving this home, is that there's a radical departure from the way just the world understands ourselves. I already told you this, Julie. I can't remember where I put this. Well, it doesn't matter. I don't. I don't want to jump ahead too much. It's on page three. Wabanzi Valley High School. Okay, here we go. So, so when I we talk about so the image of God is a very passive thing, Julie. Is that it's received from God. That's not something I have apart from God's gift. And. And so, um, you know, the, this concern would be is, oh, man, if we lost the image of God, then I'm no longer, you know, made made as God made me. Well, it's true. I mean, God didn't make you to be a sinner. It's true, yes. But at the same time, it doesn't annihilate your creatureliness or you. Um, so, last night, Holly and I and... and some of our kids, went to uh, wabonzi Valley, Hi- it's Wabonzi Valley, right, Holly? Okay. Wabanzi Valley High School. I have no idea if I spoke Wabonzi right? Is that right? No, oh, okay. Yeah, right. I, I actually don't know what Wabanzi even means. But, uh, we were at this high school and it has nothing to do with, it, you know, specifically Wabanzi Valley High School. I think it has to do with just kind of this idea of moral character and moral education. Um, I'm walking by this sign here and uh, we're leaving, we're leaving the basketball game and, and there's a sign that says, change your story, change your life. And it's got a book. You know, it's, it's like a, it's a motivational kind of poster or something. I don't know. And it's, it's a, it's, it's an open book. And on one side says, you are the author of your story and the other one says, you know, so write your write your story or whatever, you know. That's completely that's upside down. That's I mean, in fact that's that's kind of diabolical. Because God is the author author of your story. And he is writing your story better than you could ever write it. And of course, you know, there's a lot of poetic irony in this, right? Because it's a book. <laughs> What's God's story? The Bible, right? And so your, your story is already written. It's, it's, always, it's already written down, and it's, it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and you can't make it any better. <laughs> so, um, but the thing is, though, is that story, your story is received. God writes it for you. Now, for some people, that is just completely unacceptable. Um, But I think that's more realistic than the notion that you can just do, you can write your own story. Because if I take that idea to the nth degree, I can write my own story. Then when outside pressures come or consequences that I don't like in my story, do I have the ability to erase them out of my story? No. no. So I really can't write my own story. Now, of course, someone would say, well, you can write how you react to those things. Okay, yeah, that's great. But, um, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, when like, things that are out of my control happen to me, I don't want those part of my story. But they are. So the reality is, is, we don't really write our own story ever. And if that's true, then, then we have to figure out, then we have to kind of figure out, okay, so then how is my story, I mean, if we want to use this analogy, um, you know, how is my story being written? If I'm not completely controlled, there's other people writing my story then. Okay, great. Yeah, that's true. My parents write my story. My relationships write my story. My circumstances write my story. I am also part of this story. That's a more realistic way of understanding our lives than saying you write your own story. But based on that now, relationships, circumstances, yourself writing the story, you have to ask yourself, you know, is it a good story or is there something that can actually Redeem this, redeem our story, because as much as uh, as good as we want it to be, lurking in the subtext, at best in the subtext, usually it's completely obvious is sin. Sin is not going to go away. I can't write it out of my story, but Christ can redeem my story, can, can save my story. And, and my, so my identity is, is really a passive, but that's a good thing because God gives me this dignity, this, uh, royal status. So with that said, um, hmm. Last week, I heard you guys talked a little bit about whether you know staying home at mom, mom stay-at-home mom, or my goal was to actually get to that. Um, we have four minutes. Um, okay, I, I think I think we can keep. I think we can just kind of briefly talk about this. Um, so, so the dignity of every human being and the vocation. It's just we're just going to kind of create a scenario and you can think about it. Uh, the dignity, So, on the very back page, the dignity of every human being and the vocation corresponding to that dignity find their definitive measure and union with God. So, now that you're justified by God and live in right relationship with Him, how are you to fulfill uh, this service which goes back to being the handmaid of the Lord? So, you know, we'll probably come... we got to really talk about that part, I think. Because that's distinctive to... Yeah, um, So we'll just kind of raise it now and we'll come back to it. So how, how do you fulfill the service? I, we already mentioned everyone's a mother. Every woman's a mother, whether you're biological or spiritual. Um, but you can be a married or celibate mother, which we haven't talked about yet, but trust me on that one. Um, and then, uh, you know, working at home, working not at home, homework. Um when you are in right relationship to God, these are actually secondary, circumstantial to who you are. Those don't change your, your, your royal status. So that means there's freedom now to figure these things out. And any sense of guilt is probably false guilt. Um, And when that happens, oh, man, Satan loves those things. loves to take care of that. So, I articulate it this way. When you don't feel like you are you, (laughs) sin is working hard to get you to believe that about yourself. Oh, I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I'm... whatever. But remember that you're, you're a creature of God, a human, who's meant to live in right relationship with him. Um... So you are the human in God's image through God's creative word and you are never separate from that. You are ever, forever being given to. Your identity is always being pure gift. So because there's a dynamic character in that. So that means you might change. You might... Well, some of you... Have, well, everyone changes. I changed, right? I was once just a son... Then I became a husband. Then I became a father. This is all part and parcel of who we are as people. Um, I was a student. Then I was a teacher. Then I was a barista, <laughs> trainer. You know, I had a lot of different kind of jobs in the world. Pick ginseng root, uh, variety of things. Um, you know, and I'm a pastor. So these things are changing, and, and but there's that's all base, that those are uh, okay. It's okay to change because uh, I'm a child of God. It's, it's not going to affect it. So there's freedom within that to do that. Going back a few few weeks ago, when God gives man and woman this mandate to subdue the earth, we uh, you know take care of it. We all think about again. We think about environmentalism, but that's not right. It also involves culture. So men and women have the right or the mandate by God to be, like I said, scientists, artists, musicians, artists I meant like painters, um, musicians, teachers, garbage women, I, you know, whatever job it is. Um, but again, that's always un- in relationship to our lives together. And I you know I kinda want to spend some time talking about that. Um, but this is really important. This this uh um we need, yeah, so as Christians we, we can't be guilty of things that we can't be guilty about. <laughs> False guilt is a terrible thing that Satan loves to take care of and create shame and uh Nevertheless, I mean, some of these decisions about our, our station in life is very hard. I mean, we already talked about time and talent fair. You know, some of you might need to be doing jobs around the church. I don't know. It it's a, might be a hard decision. But at the end of the day, you're still part of the family, right? Um, so anyway, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, we got to go. I th- I, so, uh, in terms of reading ahead, you, maybe you don't really need to read ahead. But I, I just keep reading. Everyone just keep reading. It's not super long that we can't just come back and revisit. But I think uh, what we'll do is I'll talk with Pastor Bukes, and maybe I will uh, we'll kind of go over this servant of the Lord, because that's really helpful for us. Um, because when we think of servant, I think sometimes we think of dom- domesticness which then kind of naturally falls to like one side of this work, you know, stay at home business, and that's not true. So we got to we got to kind of work that through. So we will. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread